welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Welcome to Birmingham Vineyard Southside. If you're joining us for the first time, we're journeying through the book of 1 Thessalonians from the New Testament, and today we're looking at chapter 3. So, let's just invite the Lord again. Um, Yeah, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you that you're here, and we just ask you to speak to our hearts And would you help me to glorify you? Great. So, as a letter, this would have been delivered by hand and read aloud all in one go to the church. So, if you fancy the kind of authentic whole letter experience, um, you might want to spend about 12 minutes listening to it being read to you by the Bible app. Um, Most scholars agree that this letter to the church in Thessalonica was probably the first of the New Testament scripture to be written. This is really difficult to kind of imagine in this kind of day and age where we've got the whole Bible, like we just, we've got the Gospels, the rest of the New Testament, but these guys were kind of just working off of what they had. And yeah, kind of really hard to imagine. So let's just picture the scene. Thessalonica was a busy city of commerce. It was like the Roman Republic capital of Macedonia, and it could be found on a road called the Ignatian Way, which was a major trade route running from Rome all the way through the eastern provinces, kind of like a sort of Birmingham New Street of its day. The city had lots of different people living alongside one another. You had the Romans who said that their emperor was God. You had the Greeks worshipping lots and lots of different gods, and you had Jews to whom Paul's message was blasphemous and deserving of severe punishment or death. It was in this setting that Paul and Silas arrive on the scene to share the good news and truth about Jesus. We can read about this ministry in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Paul plants a church comprised both of Jews and Gentiles. However, in verse 5, we read that the people became so outraged by the impact their message was having that a mob formed, and they put the whole city in an uproar. Yeah, that's better, isn't it? Sorry, everyone. Right, yeah, the city is in an uproar, and they're trying to find Paul and Silas, and I really don't think it was with the intention of inviting them to tea. So... They'd flee in the middle of the night. They'd only been with this baby church in Thessalonica for about five weeks. Can you imagine trying to download the whole of kind of everything about Jesus, how everything he's done and who he is relates to the Hebrew scriptures and disciple new believers in about a month before you have to run away to save your life, basically. Paul leaves them knowing that they would continue to be persecuted in his absence. So naturally, he's consumed with concern for how they're getting on since he left. I'm just going to invite Jane Ollie up. She's very kindly going to read us the passage. Thanks, Jane. I'll give you this mic. (laughs) So when we could stand it no longer... 
we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Thanks so much, Jane. Great. Okay, so before we really dive into that text, I just wanted to notice something in Paul's Greek, which is pretty cool. Great. So, yeah, Paul addresses his prayer to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's using a compound plural subject, but the verb that follows when he asks God to clear the way is in its singular form. He's addressing two persons of the Trinity, but he so deeply understands that they are one and the same God that he has to bend his verb conjugations accordingly. Very exciting. Okay, so the two main points we're going to be drawing out from the passage this morning are, number one, we are destined for trials and suffering. And number two, we're designed to comfort and to be comforted. So, destined for trials and suffering. It's not the most appealing manifesto. I don't think that Paul would win many elections based on that promise. But in verses 2 and 3, he writes that he sent Timothy so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. Has anyone else noticed how often Paul adds, as you know, into his writing? It's almost like he thinks we might forget things when the going gets tough. He goes on in verse 4 to remind them, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. So Paul has been traveling around the known world to spread the good news of Jesus Christ and the presumably less good news of the certainty of persecution and suffering for those who follow him. His controversial message provoked a huge backlash, backlash in Thessalonica. But can we relate to what Paul's writing when the stuff that we're facing is pretty different to what Paul's facing? 
Suffering is a very subjective word. It will mean something different, which is unique to each of us, depending on the events of our lives up until now. We'll all be able to see something in the news or listen to a friend and see suffering in their circumstances, but we might find it a bit harder to kind of reach out if it's us. The fact is, whether big or small, we cannot live a life on earth without encountering trials and pain of one sort or another. I hope you don't mind, but I wanted to share some stuff with you, despite the fact that many of you might know bits of this story already. On the 6th of July 2015, I was having a rough day. I'd been up all night with our six-month-old daughter and I hadn't stopped going all day, thanks to our exuberant two-year-old son. I'd found the 18 months or so leading up to that point pretty trying. We'd gone through some fairly traumatic things with a different church. I don't think we talk enough about how devastating it can be when harm comes from institutions acting in the name of Jesus, but it can make carrying on in your faith pretty painful in itself. Following all that stress, our daughter was then born prematurely in what were quite frightening circumstances at the time. On that July day, I felt as though I'd had enough. I just couldn't get snow to settle. I was walking back and forth, rocking her, while simultaneously trying to entertain Rue and respond to his constant tugging on my clothes. I have a very vivid memory of coming to a standstill in the dining room, looking upwards and just crying out to God. I was joining the sounds of the little ones anyway, and I pleaded with him aloud. Please, I said, please could you give us some rest? Please could there be a period of time when nothing else goes wrong? Please help me. Please let things be okay for a while. It was such a simple prayer, but I'll never forget that moment. I was being really real with God. I was letting him know the truth of my sorrow and telling him exactly what I thought I needed. Have you ever been there? Have you ever got to a point where you just think, I've already had more than I can handle, and I just want to pause on the painful stuff for a bit to give me time to recover? That night, as I was starting to fall asleep again, after snow had woken, my phone rang. I looked at the phone screen and saw it was my mum calling. I answered quickly, because I didn't want any disturbance, obviously, and I was pretty annoyed I'd not put my phone on silent. Mum, I snapped, it's nearly 2am, what do you want? But it wasn't my mum's voice at the other end, it was my stepdad, calling to tell me my sister had died. What? I managed, not really registering anything else that Max was saying. I hung up the phone, went downstairs, and obediently took the cup of tea that Rob gave me, because what else do you do in a crisis? At 6.30 in the morning, I'd be at the front door of my other little sister's house, being let in by her bewildered housemate, and coming to stand in front of Katie. I was lost for words and I was just able to nod as she said to me, it's Alice, isn't it? Needless to say, the pain and suffering of the months that followed caused the preceding months to pale into insignificance as we were torn apart by grief and all that stuff. 
I had prayed for my sister to be healed for years. So what went wrong? I told God exactly where I was at, how much I needed him to give me a break. And instead of getting better, things got immeasurably worse. Had he let me down? Had he turned away? It might be easy to start, think like, start thinking like that. And I couldn't stand here before you today and say that I never ranted and raved at our Heavenly Father about it all. Thankfully, there's nothing we can say that can shock him or change how he sees us. He already knows what we're thinking anyway. But more than that, we live in this bizarre time, this kind of now and not yet, that phrase you might hear in the vineyard a little bit. We're waiting for the fullness of what Jesus has achieved on the cross when the kingdom of God does break through, but we still exist in the mystery of pain and prayers not answered in the way or the timing that we would hope. And that can be such a heartbreaking path to tread. But the truth is, we have an enemy who, right from the very beginning, wanted us to doubt the things that God had said, so that we doubt who he is and his love for us. In verse 5, Paul says, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. Paul knew that when we're really in the depths of despair, the devil can have a field day in our thought life. How could God be good if he lets that happen to you? Would a God who loves you watch you suffer? Maybe you aren't worth his love. Maybe God isn't so powerful after all. Maybe he just can't do anything about what you're going through. Paul knows all too well that when we're hurting and broken, thoughts like this creep in. But he's attributing these to the enemy. He describes it as temptation. We're being tempted to believe something that isn't true about who God is and who we are in him. God is a promise keeper. But did God promise us a pain-free life on earth? No. Paul had made this quite clear to the Thessalonians and Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. Far from promising us an easy ride, Jesus tells us we will experience the opposite, but with the ultimate hope of his victory in the end. When we don't see the healing, the wholeness, the answers here on earth, we can rest assured that Jesus has the final say in the matter. And in the meantime, we can bring our sorrow and our disappointment to him. When we're with him in eternity, he promises he will wipe every tear from our eyes, that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That is the amazing future we can look ahead to, while enduring the suffering that Paul says we're destined to experience for now. You know, as a mental health nurse, I have read so much research and seen so much evidence of the power of hope. 
Our hope is in something, someone, so much more reliable than anything we have to offer here on earth. Jesus himself and the certain joy-filled future he has secured for us. Or, as Rob put it in small group this week, being a Christian doesn't mean the absence of suffering, it means the addition of hope. Thanks for that one. So, why did I say earlier that you might be familiar with my story? That brings us to our second point. We are designed to comfort and to be comforted. I'm not standing here before you today in love with Jesus because there's something special about my faith. No. (laughs) The reason I wanted to keep going is that I know he is worth it all. And the reason I was able to keep going, the reason I think it's likely some of you already know at least part part of this story, is that so many people in this room and several other dear sisters and brothers in Christ walked and continue to walk this journey with me. He hid me in the shadow of his wings and he surrounded me with the best family I could ask for. (laughs) You guys. One friend from um, church changed all of his plans that very day to drive us down to Essex so we could be with my parents. Our small group gathered tightly around us when we came home. They and other friends from church cooked for us and left kind gifts in our home for us to come back to. Dear friends in this room and some who've moved away since have spent hours of their lives just listening, hearing what's on my heart or just sitting with me in the pain. In verses 2 and 3, Paul says, We sent Timothy, who is our brother, to strengthen you in your faith so that no one may be unsettled by these trials. Timothy is sent to encourage the Thessalonians. Jesus has given us our church family, one another, to be an encouragement, to stand by each other through all the difficult stuff, whatever that might be for each individual. In the very beginning, God said it was not good for man to be alone. And that was before the whole world was broken by sin. Hopefully, most of you should have received a a little coin on your way in. Can't really see that, can you? But you should be able to see your own. Who can tell me whose face is on it? Rue. The queen. Yep, the queen's face for now, is on the the coins. Her profile is easily recognisable all over the world. She has had her image, her likeness, inscribed onto currencies, stamps, and so much more. When you see it, it's almost impossible not to know who she is. The longing to be with the Thessalonians again that Paul describes in his letter comes from this deep imprint of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of community that he gave us when he made us in his image. We're designed to be God's children and each other's brothers and sisters. We're to celebrate one another's wins and mourn one another's losses. 
When the church is working at its best, we can live in community like our creator. This familial love and unity is how Jesus said that others could recognize God's love in us when he prayed for us in John 17. So I find sometimes objects can be kind of like helpful reminders. If it's useful to you, if you'd like to, you can take your coin home. It is only 2p after all. <laughs> um, and you can maybe reflect when you see it on what it might mean or how it might look in your life to be made in the image of God. In verse 7, Paul goes on to say, In all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. It is This time, it's Paul's turn to be encouraged by the church. And what is it that encourages him? It is their faith that is persisting even through the persecution they are facing. Have you ever heard someone say something along the lines of, Oh, babe, I love your makeup. Those eyelashes are life. Or, Wow, you have to try this quinoa salad. It is life. Now, you might be thinking this is some kind of social media influencer nonsense. And I wouldn't really disagree. But Paul says something not altogether different 2,000 years ago. Check out verse 8. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Far from being a kind of glib statement thrown about on TikTok, Paul is saying that the knowledge of his church family's continued firm faith is nourishing to his very soul. When we tell one another our testimonies of what God's done in our lives or stories of how we're choosing to take our sorrow and hardship to God rather than turn away from him, we encourage and strengthen our sisters and brothers in their personal walks as well. Of course, that only really makes sense if we're being real about how we feel and the st stuff we're going through in the first place. It's not just each other we can rely on. God himself is with us and continues to comfort and strengthen us through any and every situation. At the end of this passage, Paul prays this lovely prayer. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy. Paul is praying that the, what the Thessalonians are already doing really well, their love for each other, would continue growing. But he also asks the Lord to set them apart from, for himself by strengthening their hearts. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He is promising the Holy Spirit. In fact, God promises his comfort, his nearness, his kindness and strength to those who are in distress throughout the Bible. Despite facing death and torture because they followed him, the Thessalonians' love for God and for one another continued to thrive. 
Paul's own life became dramatically filled with calamity since he became a Christian. He was stoned, flogged, imprisoned and more for his faith. But he just kept planting churches, discipling new believers and writing the wonderful works that we now have in the form of a lot of the New Testament today. Why? (laughs) Jesus didn't promise us that he would wave away our hardship while we're here on earth, but he did promise us something far more worthwhile, more eternal. He promises himself. Of all of Paul's letters, 1 Thessalonians is unique in that Paul speaks about Jesus' return at the end of every one of its chapters. The gospel message that he goes through so much hardship to share is about what Jesus has done already, the fact that he has given his life to save us. But it's about what Jesus continues to do each and every day in giving us his Holy Spirit, his healing presence. And it's also the good news of a certain secure future we can hold on to through everything. Paul makes clear through all of Thessalonians that Jesus will come to right every wrong once and for all. And while this doesn't answer every question that we're wrestling with when we're in the midst of the mystery, it's a hope worth clinging to as we endure this journey of ups and downs together. As I've been praying over this talk, I really had a sense that the Lord wants to meet with people and to minister his kindness and his comfort. Particularly, I wondered if there was anyone here who's feeling a real disappointment in the church. Maybe when I mentioned having been hurt by the church, you could relate more to this than when I was talking about being looked after by the church. Or maybe you're just not feeling all that plugged in and connected and you'd love to know that in your life. Then there might be some here who are feeling nudged to show and share God's love with one another more. You'd love to have more opportunities to be an encouragement to your sisters and brothers around you and he really wants to bless that. Or maybe you're just going through the fire and you really need Jesus to show you He's in that furnace with you. Not only that he's worth it all, but that he can help you cling on through it all. Yeah, so we're just going to wait. We're just going to say, come Lord Jesus. You know everyone's story. You know everyone's need. We just invite you to come. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.